The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Thanks for joining us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, offering support for your spiritual growth and addiction recovery. Here's Reverend Dan Beckett. Welcome once again to the Spirit of Recovery on Unity Online Radio. We are glad you're with us today. I'm Reverend Dan Beckett here with co-host Reverend Michelle Vargas. Together, we share ways that spirituality and addiction recovery intertwine and work together to support your spiritual growth in your own recovery journey. Facebook users, you can send us your questions and comments anytime during the week from our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery. Just click the Send Message button right below the banner. Be assured that your anonymity will always be respected, so please let us know what's on your mind. We'd really love to hear from you. Today's show is titled, Everyone Matters. One of the unique aspects of the way recovery communities operate is there are no bosses. The group manages and serves the group. No one is any more or less important than anyone else. For recovery to work, the playing field must be genuinely level. Today, we want to share our experience, strength, and hope on being one of the bunch and learning to see all people as equally valuable. So we want to share with you what we were like before, what happened, and what we are like now, along with the spiritual tools and or principles that helped guide us through the tough times. We hope you'll find something in our experience that will be helpful to you in your own recovery. Today we're going to be talking about that that concept of being one of the bunch and moving from comparing to connecting. And we're going to be talking about the principle of Radical equality. What comes to mind for me when I think about comparing? Well, f- well, first of all, that that saying that you've probably heard, "Comparison is the thief of joy," right? I think that's so very true, and and I think that's kind of the you know what we're getting at is is staying away from that, and we'll get to that a little bit later. But when I think about comparing. Um, what I remember is sort of habits of mind that I have and still have, can have. And I was thinking maybe it was because I was the middle kid, right? In my family, there were three kids. I was in the middle. And so there was always an older and younger. You know, older was, quote, you know, smarter because it was four years older, my brother. And so, of course, he knew everything I knew and then a whole bunch more because he's four years older. How could it be any <laughs> other way? And then my sister was younger, and so I was, a quote, ahead of her in school and all that, and so I knew more. So this whole concept of 
the whole world is divided up into who's ahead of who, who's behind who, who knows more than who, you know, all that stuff, all that comparing was like built in, it seemed like. So when I think about it, I realized that early on I had kind of, you know, found that way of seeing in the world and uh, really had to learn the recovery way of seeing, which as we're saying, the sort of radical equality. But when I, when I think about my experience of comparing, that's what comes to mind first. Yeah. So this is really interesting because I gave a sermon on just this topic on Sunday. And um, apparently in the sort of, you know, theological circles or whatever, where they discuss these things, they call this dualistic thinking or binary thinking. And it's that idea of, you know, the the minds need to classify and label and sort everything into binary opposites which turns out that it's pretty you know pretty human nature to do that probably has evolutionary roots to it why we do that you know the quick you know need to very quickly assess whether something is a danger or not and put it into you know something's coming at you your brain needs to be able to determine you know is this dangerous is this a four-legged beast is this a safe person you know whatever it's it's you know you can see why that type of thinking is there, yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's not helpful when it comes to spiritual things or, you know, personal experience, places that are more nuanced. And, um, and of course, what binary thinking does is ignore the gray area, which um, is a huge area, everything in between. So, you know, this, like, we like to judge things, especially as being good or bad. That's probably one of our biggest um problems is the constant need to judge everything in life as being somehow good or bad. And so even though it is human nature, it's not the only way to think, you know, and we can learn to train ourselves away from um, needing to think in binary opposites. Um, And so apparently this is the ego's preferred way of seeing things. So like so many times we're, we're always talking about, you know, getting out of the ego mind, getting out of the small mind. Um, and, and it's not that it's bad or that we want to get rid of it, but we don't want it to be the, uh, we don't want it to be the dominant operating system. We don't want it to be the only, uh, the only thing that's, you know, motivating us or driving us. We want it to sort of be in alignment with our spiritual self so that our spiritual self, you know, can temper the ego. So, um, yeah, this is really interesting stuff because it is definitely human nature to compare and compare things to one another and compare ourselves to others. But as you said, it is the thief of joy. It yeah. doesn't make us happy. I know I don't feel happy when I'm comparing myself. Right, that's, yeah. That's a surefire so, way for me to start feeling really bad. Yeah, it's an old, old habit. And, and even if I seemingly am coming out on top, so to speak, of the comparison, it's equally destructive. For me to say, oh, I'm better, I'm smarter, whatever, you know, whatever the ranking of the moment is, even if I think I'm coming out ahead, it's equally destructive than for me to sort of look down at at others. And it is, you know, it is necessary in the the material realm to be skilled at this stuff. And, but, you know, in the realm of spirit is where it no longer serves and so becoming aware of it and consciously working to uh, shift the way that I see um, becomes really important. You know, yeah. we are, as we have said, Team Jesus, 
And one of my favorite images of this, and it's very much what you were sharing, we need it, but we don't want it to be in charge, right? right. We, we want it to be in service to the, you know, the divine presence the that's within self. us that is not concerned about all that same kind of, you know, what, what's, what's more dangerous, less dangerous, et cetera, yeah. like that our minds do. Anyway, the image is of, you know, traditionally called Jesus' triumphant return to Jerusalem, where Jesus is entering Jerusalem riding a donkey, a colt, you know, a young donkey. And that image right there, so the animal nature is not in charge. It's the mm -hmm. Christ consciousness that is directing it, but the animal is essential. Yes. I mean, even in the story, it says, go get a colt. Tell him, tell them if they ask, tell them the the master needs this yes. needs it yeah. now i know that there it's a political image as well i know that right. and lots of other things but man that image of the christ consciousness is driving the ship yes. right and the ship in that case of the donkey that's our animal nature that's our ego mind that's our the necessary part of being able to mm -hmm. compare and um to discern one thing from another. We need that, right? But yes. we we want it to be secondary, not primary. Right. Hence the challenge. Yeah, we want it to be mitigated by our higher mind, our higher consciousness. Um, the, the other thing about this type of thinking is that it's very divisive, right? So like you said, anytime there's a um, us and them mentality, you know, uh, binary opposites, someone's going to come out on top and someone's going to come out on bottom, right? That's just the nature of it. So even if we come out on top, it's still not good because it's divisive. So we've, we want to be creating connection and unity and this type of comparing creates divisiveness. So that's not helpful. It separates us. And what, what we want, like I said, is connection. Um, you know, we were talking about this before the show that, this has become particularly poignant in the era of social media because all of a sudden we have this view into people's lives that we didn't used to have. I mean, I know what my friend's living rooms look like now, you know, <laughs> right. and they look a lot nicer than mine, you know. At least and I, the photos that they put on yes, Facebook. Well, that's the thing. And I can really get into feeling bad about myself, you know, if I if I get into that comparison mentality and it's really easy to do. So social media isn't going anywhere and I don't think it's by nature bad. It's all a matter of what we do with it and how we, how we use it and how, you know, how we conceive of it in our minds. So as long as we remember, like you said, that people, I don't know about you, but well, you're a guy, you're different, but you know, I take 20 photos to put the one where I look good. And in the other 19, I looked like a swamp creature, okay? So you're getting the one. You know what I'm saying? And it's not like, so it's a very unrealistic, it's not the whole picture. It's, it's that's yeah. just the thing to remember is it's not the whole picture. And people are always putting their very best, you know, the picture where you can't see the mess and the picture where the, the angle is perfect and the lighting is perfect. And, and so as long as we remember that and we bear that in mind and we, you know, just, just keep that perspective, then I think that can be really helpful. I've heard it called that it's it's not reasonable for me to compare the entirety of my actual life to someone else's highlight reel. 
you know, like the very best moments here and there and there. Oh, here's me on the beach and it looks amazing like a magazine. And, oh, your life must be like that. No, it's not. Uh, I'm sure that it's not. But it's very easy for me to fall in that same trap. You know, even something like meditation can be used as a badge of honor. Like I can keep score with meditation. That's what, (laughs) you know, every spiritual path has its pitfalls and traps. And I've heard it described as everything has a near enemy and a far enemy. The far enemy is like the total opposite of the practice, and it's fairly easy to um, see. The near enemy is much more subversive. And the near enemy for awareness meditation, like mindfulness, is that it has an agenda and a goal. Uh If there's a goal involved, that's my ego. Okay. If, uh, If it's important to me, to have the number of days I've meditated consecutively keep going up, that's a score. Now I'm keeping <laughs> score. Can you see how even something like meditation, yep. which I do so that I can lessen the grip of my ego mind, my ego yep. mind is perfectly happy to co-opt it and take it over. <laughs> like we joke sometimes, the True. you know, my ego go, g- goes goes into meditation and comes out with the oneness t-shirt and <laughs> oh yeah i'm totally into oneness yeah oneness is the best isn't oneness the best yeah we're all one cuz it desperately wants to convince me that i don't need to do this anymore i'm already i have already arrived wow I isn't that ridiculous exposed. at least <laughs> But we can laugh at ourselves, right? I ha- we have to be able to laugh at this. Yeah. And it is laughable in a way. My higher self is better than your higher self. I think I That's might need right. that as a bumper sticker or something. Oh, man. No, wait. So I have to tell this joke. So so, so there was this uh, priest at a church. And um, just on this particular morning, the sun was came up in a particular way. It was shining through this stained glass, and everything was all of a sudden. You've had that experience. Everything's so beautiful yeah. and perfect, and the the priest just sort of falls. He's just amazed by the gr- grandness of God in God's presence. He's just right. taken over by it, and 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 his own sort of smallness in comparison to how grand. God in the universe are so he just falls on his knees and you know puts his forehead down and, and he's repeating I am nothing you know because he's just reveling in this holy presence well his associate the priest sees him doing this and comes in and joins him next to him so now they're both on the ground with their foreheads down I am nothing I am nothing the gardener comes in is equally inspired by this scene of wonderful divine majesty uh, gets down and starts doing the same thing, and the associate turns to the priest and said, "Look who thinks he's nothing." <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say one of them pulled out a camera and took a selfie of themselves doing it so they could that, post it on that social would also media. Be a great <laughs> that would have been me. <laughs> yeah, look who thinks he's nothing. <laughs> That's oh funny. Gosh. Anyway, we gotta move on. I love that joke. I That's haven't got sweet. to tell it in a long time. I hope it's funny. So we've talked a lot about this comparing, you know, it's, it's, a, it's essential part of who we are, but we know our spiritual nature can get, put it in right relation. Um, so let's move out of that problem and into the solution. So what is the solution? 
Well, in unity, we affirm that all of life is governed by spiritual principles. And the spiritual principles we found helpful in moving out of that tendency of comparing and into more of connecting is this spiritual principle we mentioned called radical equality. But what does this radical equality thing look like even in our recovery circles? What do we mean when we say that everyone is equal. What is this one of the bunch thing? I don't get it. What do you think? (laughs) Well, it's pretty much our first and second unity principles, right? And our first principle is that there is only one presence and one power. And then the second is that we are all um, emanations or expressions of that one presence and one power. So that sort of wraps it up that if we are all expressions of God, that makes us all equal. Um, But in reality, in our real lives, this can be a difficult concept to hold on to. I personally have grown a lot in this concept by working with this idea. And the first time that I really felt this crack open for me was when we were doing an angel walk at my church. I don't know if your church does these angel walks where the board members or prayer chaplains or folks who are selected form two um, lines, maybe down the center aisle. And then the congregants have an opportunity to walk slowly through the line and are given various blessings and things like that and um so we were doing this one time and i just kind of quickly closed my eyes to ask for guidance as to what blessing i was to use and was told to use i behold the christ in you now that's something we say a lot in unity right i behold the christ in you and as so many things you know there's getting it and then there's getting it right? Like we can go and say these things. And I had said it for years and years in church. I behold the Christ in you. You know, it's a blessing we do with people or whatever. That day I got it in a totally different way. I just, I practiced as each person, this was before I was in ministry or anything. I think I might've been a prayer chaplain or something at that point. As each person was walking through, I practiced like really truly beholding the Christ in them. And even when people came through that like weren't my favorite now of course now that i'm a minister i feel totally equal towards everyone in my congregation and i everyone's your favorite <laughs> but i remember there might have been a couple of people that i had you know just that little rub with or whatever and i really practiced beholding the christ in them it, I, I, it's hard to describe this type of spiritual experience but i had an experience where i really did see that like this person is as much an expression of God as I am. And it was, it was a moment of spiritual awakening for me. It really was. So, you know, your moment of realization of that could look different, but there is sort of a moment when we wake up to this idea that we really truly are all the same, all the same in God. We are all expressions of divinity and there's no, now, for me, in my personal theology, that includes all beings, right? animals, plants, you know, all life um, is, is equally an expression of God. So, you know, there's moments when we get these things on a different level. And that was one of those for me. Yeah. And when I think about, so we're talking about what does rad, this phrase radical equality, not, not, I mean, certainly, yeah, what does it mean? But what's it pointing at? You know, what, what, what's going on 
here? What does this radical equality mean? And for me, uh, it primarily it means what I would call the inherent value of all people. It, immutable cannot be taken away. It's it's our very it's at the core of our very essence. It has nothing to do with our accomplishments or how much resource I have, you know, that could be money, influence, whatever, nothing to do with credentials, awards, right? none of that. That underneath it all, the only criteria, and I, and I will limit to people, and just to keep the conversation narrower, for my own sake, I'll leave plants and animals out about whether that fits in, but all people are equal. If, if you are a person, you're in, you yes. know, and I love how I see this, um, in the, a lot of the parables, you know, mm-hmm. from Jesus, the, the, uh, the lost sheep, right? So one yes. out of a hundred sheep is gone and all of the resource goes into finding that one sheep. Because it is as important as all the rest, and we want to bring that one sheep back into equal footing with all the rest. And if it's lost, it's not on equal footing. It's no longer part of the group. So we need to bring it back so that it can be an equal part of the group along with everyone else. And in life, maybe one time I'm the lost sheep, and you're helping me, and maybe you're the lost sheep the next time, and I'm helping you. The point is not who's getting more help, quote, unquote, or whatever. (laughs) The point is, are we all on an equal footing? And if we are not, then let us work to make it so we are. Yeah. Because we're inherently valuable. And so obviously in our culture, you know, there are those that we deem other and those that we, uh, I'm not saying us personally, but in general, our culture tends to see as somehow less than, right? Folks who um, haven't, you know, the marginalized, the ostracized, the outcasts, you know, those who have not sort of conventionally achieved what our culture holds as valued, valuable, you know, achievements. Well, these were Jesus's people, right? And so I believe that Jesus, you know, made a very uh, deliberate commentary by choosing these folks to show us, you know, I mean, it's kind of obvious, but then it's kind of also deeply profound. It's like, Jesus didn't choose, you know, the mucky mucks to be his people and to be his disciples. He chose the the disenfranchised, you know, and yeah. and he chose to hang out with folks that it's hard for us to understand in our modern understanding of culture and society and such, but back then those that were deemed unclean, yeah. the sick, you know, lepers, prostitutes, sinners, tax collectors, whatever, all of these folks and um, those were the people that he not only hung out with and healed and gave his teachings to, but as I like to remind people, he ate with them. And that yeah, was such big. a huge thing. So yeah. he was making an incredibly radical statement about the equality of people because eating with those who were considered unclean was absolutely not cool, right? Yeah, right. And so, I mean, you cannot, he could not have made a more radical statement than to eat with these folks. And then he goes even beyond that and says, what you do to the least of these, you do to me. So he's saying that we are all equal. 
You know, if you treat a street person or a leper or whatever poorly, you are treating me poorly. We are all equal. And it's so easy to gloss over these radical statements that Jesus made. Yeah, yeah. But if we really start to look at them, it's pretty radical. I I think so too in the equality especially and you know I've 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 heard it said and I know this uh, I believe this to be true that you know, Jesus kingdom of God is a kingdom of nuisances and nobodies. Yeah. Right? All the regular folks, the looked down upon, the people yes. who aren't seen as valuable by the culture in general exactly. like you just said are the very ones that Jesus holds up and says these will be first. These people will be first in the kingdom of God because they're not going around thinking they're better than everybody. Yeah. You know, unlike some people we know. No, right. see, there's me comparing <laughs> already. So, um, I, and Father Greg Boyle, who's been an inspiration to me, uh, talks about um, can we not make the circle of compassion so large that nobody is outside of it? That's right. Everybody. Um, is deserving, if you want to use that term, which I find a little bit of a dangerous term, right. deserving of our compassion. Everybody does. And uh, th- that's what I think is, th- that's what I see being modeled in our recovery groups, the mm-hmm. idea that everyone yes. is equal. I don't care if you're, this one's a, a doctor and this one's a physical laborer. Uh, somebody makes more, drives this car, drives that car, successful relationships, not successful, whatever, by whatever criteria we might tend to want to compare people, the idea in the recovery community is all of that is not relevant. Right. It's nothing to do with it. We leave it, hopefully leave it gone forever, but at least yep. at a minimum, we leave it outside. Yep. You know, and uh, that's one thing that I deeply love about Recovery circles in the in a way that I see recovery circles modeling what Jesus called the kingdom of God, at least in that yes. way. I'm not saying they're equal, but I'm pointing out, hey, man, this looks very much like what I was You're reading right. about. Yep. And they're all eating cake together and drinking coffee. and That's right. Yeah, you're right. You know, I really like that, that they are sort of like a little um, mini model of the kingdom of God. It's really yeah. true. That's a really cool thing. And yeah, when you come into the rooms of recovery, it doesn't matter. Nobody cares if you're a big mucky muck on the outside. You know, you're just an addict or an alcoholic or whatever, you know, you're in recovery from when you're in the rooms. And what a beautiful experience that is, both for those who um, don't have that kind of status outside of the rooms and for those who do to experience some humility. It's like the great leveler. You know, and um, and it also we're able to see that, you know, the diseases of addiction and such, um, they affect everyone indiscriminately. You know, it's not a disease of the rich or a disease of the poor or disease of the educated or, you know, everybody experiences these things. So it's the great equalizer. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So they really are. um, Our rooms really are models of um, that type of radical inclusiveness that Jesus taught. I think they are, and I love that about it. But let's hold that thought, because it is time for a short break, and when we come back, we will continue the conversation. Please stay with us.
Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. Welcome back. We're glad you're with us today. If you're just joining us, my name is Reverend Dan Beckett, and I'm here with co-host Reverend Michelle Vargas. We will resume our discussion in just a moment, but first we want to remind you that you can send us your questions and feedback anytime during the week from our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery. Message us from there and let us know what's on your mind. Prior to the break, we were discussing our human tendency to compare and classify and uh, sort things into binary opposites. Then we moved into talking about this concept of radical equality. And of course, we we got going on Jesus and the kingdom of God and, and uh, what a beautiful example the recovery rooms are of that type of equality. So let's talk now about how this concept of radical equality has helped us to move from that tendency to compare into more of an experience of connection. When I think about that, what comes to mind first is, um, you know, how in, in the rooms, one thing that we learn that can be very helpful is we, I've heard it described as we act as if, you know, if, if I have been drinking a lot in my life for decades, which was the case for me, but I am now choosing to live a sober life, I need some to do some acting as if. I am going to act as if I am a sober, healthy, sober person. What would a healthy, sober person do in this circumstance? I'm going to play that role because I'm learning it still. So I'm going to act as if. So I did that like with with a radical equality. Let me take as a, a basic premise that all people are inherently valuable in the eyes of God, right? We talk about the God glasses, right? We're seeing through. If we see through the eyes of God, we see that all people are um, inherently equal. Let me look for that. Can I see that? Mm-hmm. I'll make like a game out of it. So I started to develop the habit of look, of, of simply looking for commonalities. I wasn't even looking to equalize all people in my mind. I was looking, I was choosing to look for what do I have in common with this person who's sharing yeah. instead of my probably my default reaction, which would be to notice all the things I don't have in common right. with them. We're not the same age. We're not the same gender. I haven't done the things they've done. I didn't drink what they drank. They did other things. I, you know, this, all these things that are so easy to, for me to separate myself. And I said, no, I'm going to look for commonalities. And of course, get, I started to find them. Yes. Right? As soon as I started looking, I started to see them. And so that's one way that that concept of radical equality helped me move out of comparing is because I literally try to make a game out of doing the opposite of comparing, Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. is looking for connection. Yeah, you know, I was just thinking, I really had to start with myself and what I thought made me worthy as a human being, because I was raised in a very achievement oriented family. You know, my parents were both professionals with higher degrees, and I learned very early in life that I could receive accolades and kudos and, you know, adoration and love and attention from achieving, from performing, you know, that Enneagram three thing. And, you know, and so I had a lot of my own self-worth wrapped up in the things that I had achieved, you know, my grades and, you know, degrees and whatever, that type of thing. Well, that, that was not 
good for me because the thing is, is if my value is caught up in my achievements, then what happens when I don't achieve or what happens when, you know, someone has achieved more than me? Again, it's that comparing. So it seems silly to say this, but this concept, and I learned it in both unity and in recovery rooms, that I was not my achievements, that I had inherent worth as a human being. I was very used to seeing myself in terms of, you know, these these achievements and accolades. So it was very hard for me to disengage from that and start to see just my worth as a human being that had nothing to do with what I'd accomplished or what I'd done. Um, somehow I didn't get that message or I didn't learn that as a child, that I was valuable just for me, completely apart from anything I had done. And so um, I had to really get that. I couldn't see myself as equal to others as long as I was seeing myself in terms of my achievements, right? Yeah. So that was really huge. And it's still something I have to be um, aware of. You know, my degrees don't make me any better than anybody else. But that also frees me up from my worth being attached to those things. You know, so um, that was really where it began with me was this idea of the inherent worth of all people and that um, these people who had very different lives from mine who hadn't achieved what I thought I had achieved that I was so wonderful had the same exact value as me. I know it sounds ridiculous. It's almost embarrassing to say that, but that's just the kind of, and it wasn't that my family thought we were better than anyone else. It's just that there was so much value placed on achievement. Sure. Yeah. And for me, that ended up being damaging. And that's understandable. I mean, it's all around us. If that, it's easy yes. to see why one would get tuned into that. And I grew up in I, the Silicon Valley. You know, it's kind of, it's the culture. Yeah. yeah, it's just there. Yes. So another way, or maybe, I, I don't know if this is really different. It's more like an expansion or extension of what I was sharing before. Another way that the concept of radical equality has helped me is that, you know, when, when I began to look for commonalities, I, I began to more easily and readily see value in others, mm-hmm. right? And um, just continuing to do that over time, starting out with just looking for what do I have in common with this person instead of what is different, that led to just it, I, you know it's not like it doesn't even feel like it was something i was doing as much as something that happened i mean what i was doing was looking for commonalities what happened was i began to very easily see what i would call value in others mm-hmm. so that statement uh, belies the fact that maybe i wasn't seeing value which puts mm-hmm. me above you know i right. embarrassed to say but hey man that's what goes on right now at the same time, somewhere along the way, I learned that, that that same comparer that I have in my head that wants me to come out on top turns right around on me. Yes. And and yes. makes me not, you know, it's 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 a vicious cycle. It's a very bad dynamic, the whole comparing thing. Kind of as we're saying, it doesn't matter if I conclude in any moment that I'm coming out ahead of or on top of or whatever, because there's going to be another moment where I'm coming out below and on the bottom of, and it's the same voice. It's the same mechanism. So anyway, looking for commonalities helped me 
to just, you know, seemingly out of nowhere, um, being able to value others and kind of like what you're saying, maybe backwards, but the same dynamic and therefore then to value myself, not because of any, um, you know, accomplishments, accolades, resources, whatever, um, but just as a, a regular human who who matters the same as everybody else. And again, you know, addiction is the great equalizer. Yep. That's one of the real blessings of it. Because I don't know that I ever would have been able to get to this way of seeing without it. But man, it's it is a very loud influence that says you're no better you know look who do you think you are yeah mr can't get up off the floor yeah i like to say that we're kind of like dogs you know when dogs meet one another and they're sniffing each other and you know dogs have a uh what do you call it like a, a hierarchy in their yeah. pack they have a rank you know and and apparently all dogs know how each other ranks or whatever and so they're kind of you know when they meet they're trying to determine am i above you or below you in in a pack situation you know where where do i go and that's sort of what we do too you know we're always trying to determine am i higher than someone or lower than someone and um obviously we're not dogs and we need to <laughs> We need to try not to be always ranking ourselves all the time. But we are animals, so we have Yeah, that, we are. We have, we have that, that animal nature. Yeah, that's part of us. But we have this, the spiritual identity. Well, yeah. isn't that the human condition is we are always yes. sort of trying to overcome our base or animal nature, you know, trying to be more evolved. And sometimes we're really not, but we think we are and <laughs> we're trying to be. You know, my concept of this whole equality thing has really evolved a lot. You know, when I first came into the rooms, I started to hear things like the way it was expressed in the rooms was that God loves us all equally. That was sort of the begin. That was sort of my introduction to the concept that you may have this and the other person may have that, but God loves you both equally. Then as I got into unity and this took years for this concept to really take shape in my mind, you know, in unity, we, we don't, we, we see ourselves as expressions of God. So we are literally incarnations of the God stuff, so to speak. Yes. You know, so it's not that God loves us, although I do use that language frequently because I think it's still valid. But it's that we literally are made of that love, that same stuff that um, everything else really in the universe is made of. And so... Um, it's just been kind of an evolution of my understanding of that, um, that we aren't created by God so much as we issue forth from God as like expressions of expressions of God, emanations or manifestations of God. But, um, and still those are concepts that are kind of hard even for me to hold on to, you know, um, on a daily basis, but it does help me understand the equality. So, you know, if everything sort of exploded out from this point that was God and everything in the known universe is from that source, then of course we're all equal. We're all made of the same stuff. Right. Underneath it all, we're all an expression of the divine. Yeah. And we're all literally particles and, you know, atoms and things like that. So, you know, we sort of literally are equal. Um, I don't know if that helps anyone at all, but, um, you know, I was talking about 
learning to look at folks and say, I see the Christ in you. And my son, as I talk about frequently, is uh, developmentally disabled. And so I have a lot of interaction with the disabled community. And we attend a camp every year where it's all families of children with disabilities that go to this camp together. And so I see people on a huge spectrum from completely unable to, you know, completely wheelchair bound and unable to um, speak or, you know, uh, yeah, unable to speak or, you know, uh, communicate in that way, um, all the way, you know, just the whole spectrum of disabilities and such. And um, I started practicing doing that when I was there at that camp, looking at these kids that, I mean, I'm just going to say, you know, it's, it's, we can love them and believe that they have worth, but there's still something we do in our minds that's sort of condescending or patronizing, like they're somehow still less in some way. I don't know if that makes sense. It's not it's not oh, a it conscious does. thing or something that we want to do, but it's just, you know, they're not living a conventional life. They don't have conventional achievements. And so so I would practice looking at these kids. And I'm just going to say there was this one kid, you know, he had some facial um, abnormalities. He had kind of drool coming out of his mouth. He made a lot of funny sounds. And I sat there and I just was like, this person is as much an expression of God as you are. And like, I tried to really, really get that, you know, and that was another, that was like kind of a second awakening that I had where I was like, wow, we are all so caught up in, you know, our intelligence and our abilities and our beauty and our, all these things. And this person in front of you is just as much an expression of the divine, maybe even a purer one, but I don't want to be patronizing because that's not cool either. But just, wow, it just, I don't know if that makes any sense to anyone, but these are, these kind of spiritual awakenings are very hard to describe. They are, because <laughs> they're, they're wordless, really. We can only do the best we can. But it brought with... tears to my eyes because I was humbled. Yeah. I was like, wow, Michelle, you really think you're all that and you're not, you're exactly the same, you know, yeah. very humbling. It's tough. I mean, I also have a special needs child, not exactly the same situation, but still a special needs. And the comparator there is, the, so what is like the, quote, normal path right. in society? Well, you go to school and you graduate high school and then maybe you go to college or maybe you get a job. You know, right. all this stuff. It's like, hey, man, it is not the same for kids who have disabilities. No. It may be sim more or less similar. It depends. Mm -hmm. On uh, many, many things. Exactly. The point is that that sort of generic or generalized path that we all think of as, no, quote, normal, Valid. that sort of defines, quote, successful, is right. out the window. Yep. And it, it, I know I have that. I've had that experience of, of stepping back and saying, you know, the problem here is not this kid or that kid. The problem is we seem to be trying to fit everyone into the same box. Yep. That's the problem. And one size does not fit all. Um, no. And, you know, I think we just need to be more flexible. And, and, and I'm not saying that to be in critique of the world so much. There are many wonderful and amazing services for special needs kids and families and all that. And that's, and that's great. But what I am saying is if I put on my God glasses, right? Mm -hmm. So we have this I love that phrase. Yeah. If I put on my God glasses and I see all people as equally valuable, the thing that's out of whack is 
the conventions yes. in our society. And we created them, and I know that we can recreate them, or we yes, could create we them differently if, if we so, you know, if we were to choose to do so. So I am with you on that um, kind of experience. I'm not saying the same one, but I really get that um, people that society in general might uh, agree, you know, don't quote measure up or whatever. Uh, no, that 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 is. Uh, the least helpful way of seeing that I can think of. And it is not the, uh, the divine way of seeing, and it is not how we choose to operate in recovery circles. So what I like to say about this is that when we free these folks who don't fit into these parameters that we have decided are normal, when we free them from that, we also free ourselves because there's always going to be a circumstance in which I'm the one that doesn't fit into the parameters, you know? And so when someone gets free, everyone gets free. We all get free together. You know, I I've done a lot of, uh, my son has done a lot of special Olympics and, you know, if you want to have a spiritual awakening, go to a special Olympics event. Um, And I think that if Jesus were alive today, that's probably where he would be, would be hanging out at special Olympics with these kids. It's, um, it's a pretty life changing experience. So yes, the problem is, you know, determining that what falls within these parameters is normal and everything else is outside of normal. And that's just not, Again, that's binary thinking, normal slash not normal, and um, binary thinking is not the truth. It's it's a trick of the brain, and it's not – there's a whole – people exist on a spectrum in, in all different types of ways, but there, it's a spectrum. So what I was thinking is you were talking about how in the program we do this acting as if – and I was thinking that if people wanted to have a pretty cool experience, they could go out and sit somewhere in, in public where there would be a variety of folks passing by and practice putting on their God glasses, you know, just practice sort of putting like literally, you know, putting them on and begin to try to see through the lens that we're talking about. Um, just try to see everyone as an expression of God, everyone as equal, everyone as existing on a spectrum. No one's in, no one's out, no one's normal, no one's not normal. We are all divine expressions. And see what kind of an experience you have, um, because it can be very, it can be really life-changing. And um, when we practice seeing this way, it becomes more and more our default way of seeing the more we practice it. That, that's why we do any of these act as if things, right? You're acting as if at the beginning so that eventually you're not acting anymore. You just are seeing that. Right. Way. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's be... exactly it. Cause we're not being disingenuous when we act nope. as if we are looking to make a radical change in the, uh, in the, way I'm looking seen. to make a radical change in the way I show up in the world. So I'm going to start acting like, that's who I am. And I Uh then become that. And like Uh you just said, now I am that. And I don't have to quote act like it because it has become who I am because I was willing to put on that suit and say, this is, this is who I want to be. So this is who I am choosing. I'm going to show up this way today. What would sober Dan do? Yeah. Right. Let me do that. And lo and behold, I have become sober Dan. Right. I don't have to ask that anymore. You know, I was sharing at first about developing a habit of looking for commonalities, which helped me 
to more readily just see value in in all people. And where it kind of went from there is that I I could then, and you sort of touched on this, I could then begin to relax and yeah. know that I'm okay no matter what other people are or are not doing, right? Because at the end of the day, you know, what I'm, what I'm after and, you know, probably arguably why I drank like I did is I don't feel okay in the world. I just want to exactly. feel okay in the world. Can I just yep. be okay? I don't need to be great or whatever. I just need to feel, oh, I'm good. I feel okay. I'm all right because yep. I don't yep. feel all right in the world. Exactly. I don't feel safe. I don't feel valued, etc. Yeah. So just starting down this path of seeing commonalities and then seeing the value in all people, all of a sudden it turns back on myself. And I think this is what you said. It turns back on myself it's like, oh, I'm I'm also one of these. I'm I'm equally valuable. So I'm yes. okay. I can chill out. I can relax. I don't have to compete to be better, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I really think you're right that it all comes from this desire to feel okay. And so many of us didn't feel okay. I know I didn't and sometimes still don't feel okay. And so I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to make myself feel okay. And I can't use alcohol to do that anymore. So now I try to use other things to make myself feel okay. And what I'm learning, especially in the last few years, is that the only way I can really feel okay is to make myself feel okay from within. Not based on anything that I do or don't do, ways that I screwed up or ways that I did well. All of that is out the window. I have to just find a way to just be with myself and give myself that feeling of okay from within. Now, that sounds maybe a little like, you know, not sure what that is. but. But And a way that we can do that is by making it that way for everyone else. Yes. If I can look around and realize that everyone, they are all okay, They yeah. then that, then all of a sudden I'm also yeah. okay. Yes. Wow. Whew. You never know where we're going. Oh, we never this. know where we're going. <laughs> you know, uh, that's, that's why it keeps it fun and fresh. Well, we've had a whole lot to say about this uh, once again. So let's step back if we can and see if we can find a concise way to sum it up. So our our preferred way of doing that is with the hypothetical question uh, that I get to put to Reverend Michelle. Hey, Reverend Michelle, in a nutshell, if someone rolled up to you and said, I want to be one of the bunch. I really like this idea. I love this about um, uh, recovery communities. I want to be one of the bunch, but I don't always feel that way. You know, what can I do to get connected? Some simple practical steps. Yeah, well, I mean, sort of on the, not abstract, but sort of on the, you know, large scale is beginning to try to see the world that way, that we are all expressions of the divine. Um, That can be a pretty heady concept and take a while to trickle down into our practical daily living, but we can start to aim for that type of viewing, putting those God glasses on for a few minutes every day and trying practicing seeing the world that way. Um, On the practical level, you know, especially if we're talking about involvement in a unity church community or in a 12-step group, is joining in. We can become one of the bunch by joining in, um, by taking on small service commitments, by, you know, we talk about this all the time, making the coffee or staying after and cleaning up or whatever it is, um, just beginning to be a part of. And that's how we get that feeling of belonging and being one of the bunch. Yeah, I like that. What 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 helped me and might be helpful to others is, um, and this came fairly natural because I'm, I'm naturally because I'm introverted is learn to listen more than talk. Yeah. 
especially when I first showed up in, in recovery circles, just really take in what is being said. Don't, don't worry about where do I fit in or whatever. Just take it in. Notice what other people are saying. And then look for similarities. That's advice I was given very early on in recovery. Look for similarities, not differences, yeah. with what other people are saying, which is the same as that Stephen Covey principle, seek first to understand. You know, what is it? Seven principles of highly effective people. And also I would add to that, you know, a prayer and or meditation practice to kind of just let it all sink in to practice being okay. Just decide all is well in my world in this one breath. Yes. And and that that's enough. You know, that'll get us that'll get us started. Absolutely. Well, we'd like to give you an affirmation today to help you put this into your daily practice. And so our affirmation today is this. When I put on my God glasses, I see the value in everyone and I experience deep connection and belonging. I like that. It's reminding me of my readers. Where did I put my God glasses? Right here. They're on your head. So when I put on my God glasses, I see the value in everyone and experience deep connection and, importantly, belonging. That's right. Well, it's happened again. You've given yourself the gift of another hour listening to Spirit of Recovery, and we are grateful that you have. We hope you see it that way, and we hope you found something in all of our going on and on that will be genuinely helpful to you in your own recovery. Thank you, as always, Reverend Michelle, for our discussion, spirited and fun. And thank you to all who are listening to the podcast via Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and tune in. We bless you wherever you are on your recovery journey. Listeners, if you'd like, you can connect with us throughout the week on our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery, where you are welcome to leave us your thoughts, comments, feedback, etc. We invite you to join us again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central. And until then, don't drink like my co-host. And whatever you do, don't drink like my co-host. Instead, have yourself a wonder-filled week. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. We talk to the animals, and we know you can too. On the Animal Communication Podcast, hosted by the three of us, myself, Julie Heert, Karen Dendy-Smith, and Meredith Tolleson, we will show you how to deepen your relationship with your beloved animal companions, whether they're alive or in spirit. As soul-level animal communicators, we explain the process and explore topics such as health, behavior, and play, all from the animal's perspective. So subscribe and follow us on Apple, Spotify, and listen as part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network.